Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Hello, everyone. My name is Michelle, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today. Today's passage is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear the threshing, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending John to prepare the way for you. Lord God, would you prepare our hearts right now to receive your word, speak through Pastor Joel, and just ready us to hear it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Michelle. If you have a smartphone or a device, you may have experienced at some point in your life a small crack running down the screen. And uh, when you get a small crack, uh, it's inconvenient, right? You're like, ugh. 
I just got this phone. Uh, or uh, maybe uh, this rarely happens to you, and you say, man, I've had this phone for three years, and I've never had a crack, and I just got this first crack. And uh, it doesn't change much about how you use the phone, though, right? So I guess I, I can still scroll stuff. It's still usable. Uh, it's not that first crack that's the problem. It's when that crack uh, grows. Uh, it's when that crack, as it inevitably does in any screen on any device, begins to multiply in different directions. And I, and I think the worst is when in that multiplication of the cracks that like a small chunk falls out of your screen or the screen just gets slightly uneven enough that when you scroll your finger over it, it actually hurts. And so then like answering a phone or checking an email or sending a text really becomes like like this uh, Russian roulette of paper cuts uh, on your fingers as you navigate, uh, am I going to hurt myself using this phone or not? And while it seems like a small thing, uh, this multiplication of problems, something that is a small crack that inevitably is going to grow, it's only going to be a matter of time, is a reality not only with our technological devices, but often our spiritual states. And that is true not just in our own lives, that when we sin, we face a danger of repeating that same sin, making the same error in our lives, and it begins to multiply and have a more profound effect on us individually. It's also true corporately that uh, we can uh, tell lies to ourselves as a community to a point where that lie sinks in so deeply we begin to believe it's the truth no matter that it's distant from reality. And that begins to have effects on us, much deeper effects than paper cuts. And that is the state of Israel. When Jesus arrives on the scene, there is not just one small crack that's running through the screen of their story. Rather, uh, there are cracks all over the place. You can't see the screen. You can't swipe without hurting yourself. Things are in a difficult state. And maybe for you this morning, you can relate to that. Because on this side of the pandemic, you can uh, put things together as nicely as possible, but inside you know that things have been hard. You have struggled. The effects of sin have multiplied in your life, and you are looking to figure out just how to manage your day-to-day. And so the question in those moments, not only for the people of Israel, but for us here this morning as we step into the month of October 2021, is what is the best way to deal with the cracked realities of our souls? Where is it that we may turn? Can we just try to do some sort of self-help job? Do we ignore it and just kind of look up or a different direction as we use uh, or, or go through our day-to-day -day lives with our phones? Or is there help from God? And the good news for us, both to the people of Israel and for you and I this morning, 
is that God shows up in the midst of our brokenness. That he calls to us where we may be tempted to uh, ignore the problem or just fix it ourselves as if we had the competence or uh, ability or uh, tools to do that. God himself shows up and says, you broke it, but I fix it. He says that not just for small things like screens, but for the reality of the cracked souls that we live in and try to manage life with. That's what's so significant about Jesus's arrival in Matthew chapter 3. It is like this giant announcement saying, God has shown up to fix our biggest problems. God has arrived and ushered in the repairs for our deepest brokenness. The chosen one has arrived. That is Matthew's message in chapter 3. And we're going to look at it this morning in a couple of points that are on the screen for you. The plan from God and the promised son. I want to note that if we have time, we may do a short Q&A later in the service. And so if, as you are thinking through this text and as we are walking through this announcement of God's chosen one arrived on the scene, if you have questions, you can text them to the number on the screen. Okay, so first this plan from God. The first two chapters of Matthew have been this linking together of all that has taken place in the Old Testament. Maybe you are not familiar with just how bad the cracks had grown in the reality of the lives of the people of God throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament. But the people in the first century to whom Matthew was speaking to, they knew. And he was building connections to those cracks saying that fix that the prophet's talked about has now arrived on the scene. He's saying when they used to say that the cracks had run in such ways that we needed God to show up and repair them, God's solution has arrived. And so the first two chapters of Matthew are talking about the fulfillment of God's promised one to bring about repair for his people's souls. And in chapter 3, verse 1, we're introduced to John the Baptist's work of baptism. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, he called out, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he links back as a way to show you, hey, this is the work that God is doing. What's going on right now? It's not just happenstance that a guy put on, you know, some uh, camel hair and ate some wild dietary stuff. And then people started going to pay attention to him. He is saying this is what the prophets of old foretold. This is God's plan coming to bear. Before Drake ever sung it or composed it, he's really just covering the reality of God's plan working out in people's lives. The Bible is more than just a guidebook. It's more than just a set of ethical teaching. It is, in effect, challenging you to say, you want to know the God who created the world and created us? Do you want to know what he's doing? Kids, would you like to know who God is and what he's doing in our world? The Bible's answer is the answers are here. Open it up and start following along the story. 
And so when they echo to the prophet Isaiah, it's a cue to us to say, oh, this is part of this unfolding epic narrative of God's work. Earlier this year, there was a Washington Post kind of obituary, but slash like, hey, this is the significance of this person's life, of a guy named Danny Ray. Danny Ray was uh, initially the valet for James Brown. Uh, but uh, as he was kind of promoted up through the ranks, Danny Ray became kind of the front man and MC for every one of James Brown's shows. And he uh, later on it got this moniker of the Cape Man. And uh, this came from not only him setting up and getting people excited for James Brown's shows, but Danny Ray would come out and uh, at a point in the show where it seemed like James Brown's strength was faltering and he was running out of energy, Danny Brown would run out with this giant red cape and put it over James Brown. And then it's almost as if it brought energy to life uh, for James Brown's show. It, it was kind of like this special moment in show business where uh, this one way that the cape man's act, it never got old. And Danny Ray was an integral part of setting up and preparing people for James Brown, but also keeping it going. Well, John the Baptist, you can think of him as like a first century Danny Ray. Danny Ray was uh, preparing the people for the main attraction. And John the Baptist arrives on the scene connecting to what the prophets foretold himself is almost like the last line of the Old Testament prophets calling out to the people that the main attraction is in the building. That this lead up to God's promise of deliverance, his promise of salvation, his promise of repair for your lives and for his people, he's in the building. John the Baptist is calling out to all who had ears to hear uh, to repent and to prepare their hearts for the arrival of Jesus, the chosen one of God, the one people had waited for centuries to see. He is here now, so John said. Matthew cues us to this Old Testament connection through quoting Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. It's this connection to the Old Testament that is a cue for us as modern readers that God, even though things seem difficult, and even though we don't always see how things line up, we are called to trust that God is active in our world. These ups and downs of life, problems that sometimes seem insurmountable, they're not new to us or to the 21st century. Uh, while the problems, in a sense, may be new problems, the reality of problems and even intractable problems or seeming impossible problems, that's not new. And this connection to the Old Testament is a way to signify that God hasn't lost track of his people. John the Baptist is calling for them to get ready because God is going to make good on his promises. And he does that through a promised son. So uh, 
in verse 7 and following you get this reality that not everyone believed this was kind of the idea that oh there's not cracks here everything's fine the pharisees skeptical that john the baptist was a legit old testament prophet or that uh, jesus is the one who's come to bring repair in verse 11 John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, that is this type of preparation, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This language may be hard for us to hear, but this is the part of uh, the Gospels that um, we oftentimes remember the quotes about God's love, or we remember some of the pithier quotes um, uh, about uh, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and those are all great things. Uh, the reality is the Gospels communicate that who you put your faith in and who you turn to, to for repair, that matters. Like, that is more than just a small technological decision in your life. It, it's more than just a decision of uh, where you're going to school or what you're going to eat. Those things matter, and I don't mean to belittle them, but this type of language with its vividness and its pointing to this reality of judgment is a calling out to people to say, listen, when it comes to where you put your faith, life and death is on the line. And I know that that's not always the most popular thing to say. It feels like in our day and age, it's been minimized. No, 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 just put your faith wherever, just, you know, whatever works out. And I understand the appeal of that, but it forces us, I think, to be confronted with just how stark the reality of judgment language is. In the Gospels, uh, you can't just focus on the love part, but not include the judgment. They are always there being held in tension. And I think where that matters for us this morning is just for you to hear and be invited to do business with the reality that when we think about faith and worship, when we think about God's commands, the claims of Christianity are not merely like, oh, here's another one of many choices, just uh, whatever suits you and, and feels good. It is this claim that life and death is on the line. That if this is God's plan, this is how he is working for repair. That for evil to be dealt with, which I think most people generally want, that is going to involve God's power and judgment. And that that is serious business. That's something that calls us not just to flippantly make these decisions, but to take our time to work through them to understand the significance of just what it is that God is calling us to do. So in this baptism, Jesus comes from Galilee. He goes to John, uh, and he is baptized. Initially, John's skeptical, right? I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
And then there are four signs, so to speak, that are signaling to you, just like the Isaiah quote is a connecting piece between God's promises in the Old Testament coming to bear in the reality of Jesus. In the baptism in verses 16 and 17, there are three or four signs to you that this is the one. This guy is king. So Jesus is baptized, and immediately he went up from the water. And in verse 16, this is the first. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. This idea of the heavens being opened up, right? God is at work. This is not just an ordinary day. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. That is the second sign, this idea that uh, it wasn't— uh, it, the Spirit is involved with what's happening here. Then a voice from heaven, something that people would have been familiar with, uh, with the prophets and in other instances in the Old Testament. And then finally, the statement, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness in getting baptized. He tells us as much in verse 15. But in 16 and 17, after the baptism, we are recognizing that he is the promised son. He is the beloved son. He is the one who brings repair. These elements coming together are communicating to us his kingship, his uh, chosen status as Messiah. He is our deliverer. He is a servant. He is the one we look to. It is, it is as if he is uh, the embodied, holy, and righteous, you break, I fix, for our souls. So it is as if he is the one who has shown up to say, you don't have to turn another way, I'm here to bring repair. You don't have to live with it any longer. I'm the beloved one who's come to deliver. And in the coming weeks, I hope that's a helpful preview as we deal with the cracks in our own lives. Like when we think through the things that make us anxious and how we're overwhelmed by that anxiety, Jesus shows up not only as the beloved one, but invites us into the family of God to live out beloved status of our own. Living as the beloved is not just something for Jesus. He calls us to follow. So that when we lust after things that we know probably aren't good for us, but we really, really want, or when we face intractable problems, we can turn to Jesus. Jesus going down to the dirty water of the Jordan River to be baptized, in a way, was identifying with us in our brokenness. I'm going to take that as an amen. See? Yep. Jesus' baptism, he identifies with our brokenness. Amen, sister or brother. Uh, the anointing of the Spirit and the declaration of his status, it's bringing together quite this picture Right? So you have, like, think of it, like a wild-dressed prophet who ate wild things, and Jesus, in the 
waters of the Jordan River, which is kind of like uh, a first century equivalent of the Potomac, right? So it's like not the place where necessarily people go. They're like, where are you going on holiday? I'm going to the Potomac River to like swim and hang out, right? There's probably a little bit of it. I wish there weren't, but like a little bit of problems. It's just not like the most exotic place that you would think of. That's the Jordan River. So here's the chosen one of God, the king, the one who's declaring God's justice is at hand, and he's down in this dirty water of the Jordan with this wildly dressed prophet. And that tension is what plays out uh, in the weeks ahead as we look at Matthew's gospel together. So in this series, Living as the Beloved, we are going to do tension with that reality of who Jesus is and then what he's actually doing and maybe important for you how that impacts our lives because as Christians in one sense we have an exalted status uh, if we've been adopted into the family of God as daughters and sons, if we've been declared righteous through faith, uh, if we have been justified through the work of Jesus Christ, that's an exalted status. And yet we know in our day-to-day -day we live with this reality of struggles. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live as the beloved of God. God's love for us, his plan for us, not only gets us into the family, but it shows us how to live. And in the weeks ahead, as we look at how we engage in uh, the polarization and partisanship of our day, how we think about who is the other and how we engage, how our Christian theology shapes how we function in the world from our politics to our uh, relationships with one another. How uh, we individually wrestle through the reality of lust and anxiety and uh, the sense of proving ourselves to everyone so that we can have status. What are we supposed to do with all of that? Matthew's gospel has answers for us as the beloved. And it involves listening to Jesus, the beloved son, with whom his father was well pleased. We're invited not only to embrace Jesus as the repair for our souls, but to follow in his example. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at just how that plays out through the fall. I invite you to continue to join us, looking at not only what it looks like to enter in as the beloved through faith in Jesus, but to live as the beloved people of God. Let me pray. God, please watch over us, I ask. Help us to care for one another. And I would just ask that we not be flippant with our faith, where we find our identities, where we put our hope, that we wouldn't be distracted by the next notification or alert on our phone, that we would actually, in these Sunday mornings, set those things aside to think deeply about just who you are, and what you have called us to do and be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.